there's two recent events that happened. Um, one is yesterday, um, a bill was introduced in Congress that said that was basically saying that we can't sell oil to China uh, from the SPO, right? Because there was a whole uproar a little bit ago that a little bit of oil made its way to China. Sure. That's more of a political grandstanding. Um, but what was more important and was, was less talked about was that the Biden administration was looking to not sell or to cancel all planned sales in 2023 of the SPR, and they would look to start refilling it. So that leads us to the question of what's, what's going to happen when it's 80, 90. Let's get to the next, to next summer and let's say we're at $95, $100 per barrel. And our SPR has yet to be refilled. Like it's, we're gonna like, we're putting ourselves in a very precarious situation. Okay, cool. Everybody, welcome to the Angel Research Podcast. We are here as usual today to discuss the market's hottest stock stories and investment opportunities. We have Keith Cole with us today. Uh, Keith is the uh, the founder and the managing editor of. A couple of investment uh, advisory services, including Energy Investor, Technology and Opportunity, and uh, Top Line Trader. Keith, do you want to give us a rundown of each of those? Uh, just very briefly, sure. sure. Um, I mean, the first two are exactly what they sound like. What we do is we look for um, long-term investments in the energy and tech sectors. Um, and I can get into a Top Line Trader a little bit more. This is more of our of our high-end trading uh, service that mostly focuses uh, biotech, small biotech stocks that yep. I'll get into in a sec. Oh, but, okay. Yeah. Uh, yeah, sure. I mean, you did recently have a couple of really big winners on Top Line Trader. Well, uh, at, was it, were those both at the beginning of the year? So we kind of hit two home runs right off the bat. In the first week, we had two of our, two of our biotech positions get bought out and both of them nearly doubled uh, yeah. overnight. So, I mean, you can't start off a, 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 a trading year any better than that, um, especially when you're given the bloodshed that took place last year. Yeah. Um, but that's, uh, it's, it's an interesting um, point uh, that I wanted to make is even though most investors typically that are probably watching this have felt pain at some point last year, it was just a brutal bloody market. It, it really was. Um, so in our top, in our top line trader, um, service, we, uh, we actually made a trade about one every two weeks, uh, throughout the entire year. So we made 22 trades and closed 19 of those out for winners right off the bat. Um, some holding within a few days, some holding within a few weeks. Um, and so, how are you what's, identifying those? So, uh, so what's interesting though, real quick, um, yeah. is that the three stocks that we're still holding on from 2020, 2022 yeah. are on the verge of going green okay. and actually have a, have a lot of momentum behind them right now. So what's interesting is that retrospectively, like, re like looking back, yeah. we may actually turn out with a hundred percent win rate. Um, that would be pretty insane. Right. And so yeah, please, how do you, how do you right. find these stocks? And so, seriously? so we, um, we focus on on large catalyst events from the FDA. So think like new drug applications that are set to be approved or top line results from a, from a trial or a specific key study or something like that. And we comb through those and uh, pretty much uh, uh, pick the cream of the crop. And it's- How do you know what's yeah. the cream of the crop? 
you have a you have a certain amount of factors that, that you take into account um what i what i like knowing is that there's a high chance of success that what this event is going to be is a strong catalyst sure. forward yeah, yeah so you want drugs that work right yeah right right so once you identify the the small opportunities that have a high chance of, of reward it it's it's almost like taking taking candy from a baby it feels like well it looks like it based on that performance um i'm wondering if we could like maybe post-production show some of those uh sure on the screen. I, mean, I don't know if you want yeah. to reveal them or not because you've i mean you've already closed out right sure um the yeah you can do whatever you want okay cool uh let's i want to talk about energy which is kind of like that's your so oh do you well, still want to talk yeah, about yeah. let me give you a little tell you what let me let me put a little perspective on this yeah um We've been closing out these double-digit gains, triple-digit gains in Top Line Trader throughout 2022, regularly. Now, if you want to take a, like a little comparison um, for your average investor, um, I think, um, is it iShares has a, has a biotech ETF? I was going to ask you, how, IBB, was, how was the kind of broader bio? The one-year performance from that was 6%. Yeah. So it's a matter of obliterating that, that performance. At some point, it's just... It's just an edge that we have not having to having to worry about uh, only investing in mega, you know, pharma, so uh, you're, big you're pharma, specifically... mega cap stocks. I'm I'm specifically looking for um, companies that have the right uh, catalyst at the right time at the right place. So basically, you want to try to you want to try to buy the fundamentals and trade the technicals type deal. Okay. Generally, how big are these companies? Is there like a max? We don't usually have a have a a limit, obviously, but anything from micro to mid. Okay. I, I'd be they they generally have like between one and one and three billion of a market cap. So it's not it's not like trading Moderna or something like that. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Uh, okay. Oil, energy. This sure. is definitely like you know this is your bread and butter. This is where you started in this industry. Uh, you have more knowledge, you know, about the sector than I think uh, pretty much anyone that I'm aware of. So uh kind of wanted just to ask you about the you know the the big energy player which is oil that you know well the, it, the classic energy I'll player I'll tell you what I'll give you I'll give you let's just talk about the major events that are going to happen in 2023 that will shape prices Okay okay great Um it shouldn't be a surprise that I'm extremely bullish in 2023 Uh we made a killing on in 2022 I identifying the the drillers and the and the mid and downstream assets that were just you know that it was they were just sold off too much what were some of the big like um, the big ones from last year i don't have you'd have to comb through the through you, the window okay. list. yeah, yeah. I, I don't have that off sure um so yeah so let's get into some major events here the first and the closest one is going to happen next week and so that's when the eu is going to place its next round of sanctions on russia um the current sanctions are basically like Targeting individuals, uh, targeting economic, um, upper, uh, like economic points um, for specific companies. Yeah, and so the big thing is that they uh, they banned seaborne imports into into Europe, and then this is on top of the G seven setting a price cap on Russian oil, which is kind of a joke because you effectively put a bottom of sixty dollars per barrel on Russian oil, uh, which is good for Putin, right? And so. Next week, what's going to happen is an actually a more interesting phase because they're going to ban um, Russian exports on 
or they're going to r- ban Russian imports uh, to Europe on petroleum, uh, on oil, stuff like diesel, uh, distillates, stuff like that. And so, um, is that like a substantial chunk of the market? Like, is that going to so, really cut? Them so off? here's the so here's the the interesting part. Um, you're not exactly so. Let me put it this way. Um, these sanctions, right? While they are not ineffective. I think they're more toothless. And let me explain that. So like what we're essentially doing is driving oil flow, global oil flows to different parts of the world. Russia throughout these sanctions up until now hasn't lost a step in, in its oil in its oil exports. Um, it's Not, just simply selling it to other people. In terms of amount, but are they, I mean, like, is there a, so, are they selling uh, it at a reduced well, price than they, than they normally would be? Like they it's, you're going to buy it at a discount yeah. to, to obviously to stuff like WTI. Gotcha. Or something but like the that. amount of oil that they're putting out is, uh, is the same. Is the same. Okay. It's just, and it's going to two very, very important places, China and India. Okay. Um, give an example, like 2021, India accounted for 70% of Euro oil, which is just Russian exports. So. That's like a thirty-three-fold increase year over year. And are they using it, or are they? Oh, they're it? using it. Um, India is growing just as fast as China. Yeah. Um, so that's the that's where global demand growth is going to take place in twenty twenty-three, and that kind of segues into the to the next major event, right? Which is China reopening. Okay. Mm. We've talked about this actually on this podcast before, but this is probably the single most bullish event depending on what happens um so china has already lifted its restrictions it's already raised its its import quotas it's um and so we're not seeing any demand destruction right um in fact china's consumption for crude is actually expected to grow by about 800,000 barrels per day in like in 2023 and so that growth alone is going to make supplies extremely tight, right? Um, the IEA, I think, just projected that global consumption is going to reach a, a new record of about 101.7 million barrels per day. Yeah. So, yeah, it's, it's, going to get, it's going to lead to an extremely tight market. So where do you see opportunity for investors there? Um. It, with, well, with the hold on a second. Let me, let's 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 uh let, let's just back up just for a second. Let's not get to uh, the opportunities just yet. Um, so if China is mostly uh the bullish aspects uh, of the of the market right now, there's one catch. You have to look at the other side of the of the of the aisle. So let's look at supply now because we already know demand's going to be record off the charts. In fact, the demand in the U.S in my opinion, is being underreported by the EIA, and it's actually a lot stronger than we expect. Why is that? Um, the, the biggest example that I saw was in August, and it's not technically the, the EIA's fault. It's just the way that they were either calculating or, re, or, or, or reporting it. So in, the, in August, they said that our oil demand was the same as it was in August of 2020 when the entire world was shut down sure. and we were at extremely low point of demand. What, and so we found out months later, I mean, EIA reports seem to be made to be revised. So they come in later and say, oh yeah, you know, back in August, it wasn't technically this. It's actually about a million and a half barrels higher than what we thought. So there's room for revision with them. Okay. And, so, and they've been revising upward? 
they've been revising upward uh, over the summer is just the example I have. Yep. But I have a feeling that it's just it's more underreported than not. Um, usually, like with a we'll get we'll get two major weekly oil reports. You'll get the API report and you'll get the EIA report, and there are usually discrepancies between between the two. But over the last um, over the last uh, couple months, like the media has been extremely noisy about about Biden being able to uh, buy back uh, oil into the into the SPR because oil was I think oil dipped to about seventy dollars in December um, pretty briefly and suddenly there was this uproar that you know Biden was doing the right thing and if in case anybody's wondering he did he he released one hundred and eighty million barrels from the SPR and the state that that's in right now sets us up for an even tighter twenty twenty three. So in 20, so, th- so last year, right, Biden was able to release a mass, a record amount yeah. of, of oil. So are the reserves the low now? So the inventories right now in the SPR are about half of where they were. Okay. Right. And he's already made a statement, you know, yeah. le- or late last year, like we're going to buy back between $67 and $72. So when oil dropped to like $70, all the political talk, talking heads come out and start claiming victory or claiming, yeah. you know, the opposite. So. <clears throat> All of it is bullshit. Uh, I don't know if you have this like the specific number on the top of your head, but like how much oil is in that reserve? Like, you know, like so. In, I want to say there was around seven hundred ninety-seven million barrels. I could be wrong. It was yeah. around eight hundred million barrels in the SPR before before this happened. Okay. So now we're at about half. We're okay. at we're at about a little bit under four hundred million barrels right now. Gotcha. And not only do we have to refill it now. But even when oil dipped down to 70 and Biden made a big announcement that he was buying back millions of barrels, which is what kickstarted the frenzy, he couldn't find any, anybody to sell him the oil for that much. Mm. So it never went through. And now he's right back where he started. Gotcha. And, but I don't want to shit on Biden too much. The problem is he just doesn't have that tool in his belt for 2023. Um, he's not going to be able to release oil of that magnitude. And in fact, I, I'm pretty sure... The there's two recent events that happened. Um, one is yesterday, um, a bill was introduced in Congress that said that was basically saying that we can't sell oil to China uh, from the SPR, right? Because there was a whole uproar a little bit ago that a little bit of oil made its way to China. Sure, that's more of a political grandstanding. Um, but what was more important and was was less talked about was that the Biden administration was looking to not sell or to cancel all planned sales in 2023 of the SPR. And they would look to start refilling it. So that leads us to the question of what's, what's going to happen when it's 80, 90. Let's get to the next, to next summer and let's say we're at $9,500 $100 per barrel and our SPR has yet to be refilled. Like it's, we're going to like, we're putting ourselves in a very precarious situation. Uh, on the supply side, because U.S. domestic production is not um, ramping up the way it thought, right? The way you thought, and so we don't really have any weapons left in our arsenal to use. Gotcha. Um, it makes an it, so we'll get to the opportunities because drilling is one of them. Um, by the way, so then you you think it's just pretty much inevitable then that oil is going to get more expensive in two thousand. I think I think like, twenty twenty three. Like this yeah, is this is the bullish thesis. Like, it's a convincing I think it's, argument. Yeah. And so, um, right. 
Yeah. Okay. Did you yeah. did you want to talk about opportunities there, or do you want to maybe just punt that and say that like so let's you know, that's let's punt that and your, let's let's save all the opportunities for the end. That's where your yeah. uh, your subscribers will go for the information, right? Like uh, energy investor. Oh yeah. Yeah. yeah I, I don't. I'm not trying to reveal all your picks here. No, no, you're fine. Um, so how does all that oil, the the whole story about oil? How does that tie into diesel? I remember there was kind of this uh, a couple of months ago. We we got this like these like you know scary headlines that we were almost going to run out of diesel we obviously haven't run out of diesel but i also saw something recently that uh you know the, the whatever's going on with the eu them cutting that stuff off is also going to potentially put some strain there so maybe talk to us a little bit right so that. um obviously limiting your your sales or your imports of diesel from russia is going to cause a problem when your demand for diesel grows and there and that's that's the underlying issue on why there is uh, a bullish case in diesel in the diesel market because we're not seeing demand soft soften at all. Yeah. Um, but and so we're going to see another very tight market for at least the first. I'd, I would say the first three quarters. I can I can foresee supply starting to catch up as demand softens next winter. Okay. But the the situation so demand is, gets higher heading into the summer for diesel. Is that the case? Sure. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah, and there's a there's a little fun fun uh, little shoot yourself in the foot story in Europe because over the last like ten fifteen years they've made a huge transition in their diesel in in diesel in the diesel fleet of their of their cars. So like remember Dieselgate from Volkswagen and all that because they were fa they were faking yeah, yeah. Uh, diesel what? emissions. That was the reason why why Volkswagen was pushing to diesel was because between two thousand five two thousand fifteen there was a there was a big surge in, in the, in the diesel fleet in, in Europe. And that's like passenger vehicles and all that. And so now you're seeing like that. It's kind of interesting how you're seeing like issues, which I'm sure we're going to get to later revolving transitioning to diesel cars or transitioning to. So you're saying, is Europe more dependent so, on diesel than most. So other Europe's going to be more vulnerable. Okay. That's for sure. Um, here in the U S demand is still, is still high. Prices are still high. And yet, even after like a couple builds in in diesel uh, inventories in December, we're still twenty percent below the five year average for stockpiles. Um, and in fact, like I believe two weeks ago, there was a completely surprise uh, of a, about two million barrel drop in diesel or in distillates uh, inventory, uh, which the EIA reported, which kind of was was an interesting little uh, little feature. Um, so we can't ex we we can't I don't think we can expect um the diesel supply to radically increase, especially considering we're having planned outages from uh scheduled maintenance, um stuff like that for the refineries. So there it's gonna take them a while to catch up. Um but yeah, I think a I think a diesel shortage is very much on the books. So if I wanted to invest in diesel, I thought I was bullish on diesel. Um, are there companies that are like close to pure plays on that? Like people that are distilling it or making it? There's always, there's it... always pure plays yeah. in, in the energy sector. So, um, obviously I don't want to give away our, our. Sure. But what do what are these companies, the what do these companies do? Um, right now we are, we're, we're, we're pretty, uh, we're, we're looking pretty good in, in, uh, refineries that yeah. are, that are geared more toward, uh, the specific markets that we, you know, that. That are going to need okay. It. Okay. So they're actually they're refiners. That makes sense. Yeah. In a nutshell, you're looking at 
demand is just simply outpacing supply at this point. Yeah. And so the fundamentals, you should always invest in the fundamentals. All right. So fossil fuels, no brainer in 2023 for you. Sure. What about uh, the resource side of the energy equation? Uh, so strategic minerals. So strategic minerals is going to have an interesting year. Um, I think lithium is going to head higher. And I think that the recent um, hubbub over cobalt um, from that Joe Rogan interview is going to hopefully... What's, what's that for people who aren't familiar? Uh, I'll, I'll get into it in a second. Okay. But like, hopefully that'll spark more attention. So to get into this story, you have to go back to about 2016. Okay, That was like about the time of the, the first real lithium boom, lithium prices. And at the time, um, it turns out that our cobalt supply is coming from a pretty shitty place, right? Um, the artisanal mining that's, that the, the uproar was over artisanal mining in the Democratic Republic of the, of the Congo, okay, right? Which is where most of the cobalt- What is artisanal mining? Is that where like you have some- That's some, where you just- Some that's artists where you, from a, uh, some nah. artists that are mining? What's, what's going on? Right. You're just- What it, makes it, it artisanal? It just, just means no, no machines. You're just digging with hand. Okay. And then- That's good PR. Well, yeah, right. And so back in 2015, that Apple and, and, and some of the other big tech companies that are just slaves to these strategic minerals or these strategic metals, um, they basically came out with these ethical cobalt statements. And so even though there's about 70 pounds of cobalt in every Tesla, um, everybody was in, uh, insisting they're just going to get the ethical cobalt, it's not going to have anything to do with this slave labor or the child yeah. labor that's going on in the DRC. And so kind of everything went away because we want, we like our iPhones. We like, we like talking on podcasts and speaking into microphones and everything else that you need uh, these metals for sure. to operate. Yeah, society wouldn't function right. with it without those things. And so what happened recently in this interview was that somebody actually revealed that there is pretty much no such thing as ethical cobalt and that these artisanal minings, uh, mining operations are actually far larger than, than anybody ever thought. And um, it's going to create an absolute PR nightmare. Yeah. So I saw, I saw that video and it was basically like a pit. Yeah. He had a video of a pit. Of right people. now, the world's distraction for, for crappy PR is focused on Russia and Putin and China and all that. Um, so and this is a gonna, story that's Do you buried think it's going to catch up to them? I think it's not only going to catch up to them, but if you think about logically where we have to transition from fossil fuels, eventually, like fossil fuels by definition are non-renewable. Yeah. So um, eventually there's going to be a point when we're all driving electric vehicles. Yeah. And then as you're, everybody's starting to learn, uh, seems like our awakening up to is the fact that that's not going to come without its own cost. And so the next major battle for, for these, these players that want to use lithium uh, batteries or that want to use um, the, the cobalt and the lithium, uh, all this, they're going to have to address this and hopefully sooner rather than later. Okay. So you just talked about uh, running, like potentially running out of fossil fuels. Uh, eventually you would run out of lithium and cobalt too, right? So like there is, sure. there, except for there is like a recycling aspect of it too. And I know that you sure. have some, like, you know, a little bit about a company that, that does some recycling. So, right. And so the I, I'm I, I really enjoy this lithium recycling play that we're that we're trading recently. Yeah. Um and what's what's interesting about this is that if you've noticed, especially since the fall when we started 
really kind of open trade war against China in semiconductors and technology and, and shit like that. Um, I don't think people understand that China has the monopoly on lithium processing in the world. Like, it's lithium production is essentially from, you know, Australia and South America, right? And so this, this lithium triangle in South America is essentially responsible for like two-thirds of the world's lithium. And um, China is basically the monopoly of, of where that goes, okay? Gotcha. And so they're controlling all the lithium processing. And so you're going to see people like – you're going to see like the – whatever current administration will be in office and has China as an enemy, you're going to see them – incentivize and push domestic projects okay and this lithium recycling play that we do um they don't they don't uh they don't mine recycling they actually take the 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 batteries and uh, or they take all the all the lithium uh battery products uh, all the millions and millions of iphones that get thrown out every year yeah and they basically recycle the lithium out of that okay that's that's pretty i mean i feel like you know, people talk about renewable energy, and it's like without that, you wouldn't you wouldn't really have renewable sure. energy. So it makes sense. Um, okay, I last thing I had on here for today was to kind of talk about U.S. energy policy. I know that like I feel like you already kind of touched on that, but was there, there any more commentary that you wanted to add on that? Sure. Um, well, I think uh, I think U.S. energy policy is. Let's see. Don't censor yourself. yourself. Yeah, I don't want to. Yeah, I don't want to say anything. I want to figure out how I want to how I want to yeah, yeah. say. Take it. your time. Um, I'll tell you what. We can save that for for another podcast if you want. You, you yeah. want to do that? You want to yeah. just like do a pure uh, yeah? Let's uh, pure energy I can, policy. I can go into energy policy for a while, but okay. the problem is I don't want to ramble off for another hour. Okay, so. and as 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 far as future podcasts, also you and I are going to have to talk about artificial intelligence and all the stuff going on. with Oh, Chad we got ABC. a lot of stuff to talk about. Absolutely. Okay. Cool. Mm -hmm. uh, Keith, anything else you want to plug before we go? Or uh, not right now. Okay. Cool. Keith, great. Good having you on the show, and we'll see you all next time.